with Blakey still away on tour, Stuart and Marcella looked after episode 99, with Stuart taking a little bit too long to answer GRQ OTW 98. Then they get into the last five community questions with explanations and what percentage were correct and incorrect. They finally finished off with a GRQ OTW 99. So whether you're in your car or going for a walk, enjoy this episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Stuart's one of our highest ranked working rules officials that we have, one of the best we've got, and he knows he's such Hello and welcome to the Golf Rules Questions podcast, episode number 99. We are getting very, very close to that fantastic achievement for the podcast of episode number 100. My name is Stuart McPhee, no Blakey again this week, he is overseas in the United Kingdom working for the Asian tour is given me permission to just do one more podcast without him in the driver's seat. Well, I'm joined again today by a friend of the podcast, Marcella Smith from the Girlfriend's Guide to Golf. Marcella, welcome back. Thank you. Nice to be back. I guess Blakey must have approved when he looked at our little video um, when he was on tour and thought I was, I don't know about two thumbs up, but maybe one thumb up. I don't know. Let's go with one and a half. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think he was. Uh, I think he was okay with the product. Hopefully, the listeners have uh, tuned in again for another episode with you and I discussing all things rules of golf. So it's great to have you back. Thank you very much for your time and helping us out again uh, with the podcast again this week. Happy to be here. Um, well, we're going to turn right to you because we always start the podcast with the answer to last episode's golf rules question of the week. Which Marcella, as uh, as a guest of ours last week, we asked you to write that up, which you did. Do you have that handy, please, just to read out again to refresh people of that question, please? Sure. That question was: Sharon and Nina are playing in an individual stroke play tournament at the Santa Luz Club in San Diego, a beautiful place, with two other competitors in their foursome. Sharon pulls her tee shot on the eighth hole and thinks she'll find her ball in the bushes. After the other ladies tee off, Sharon starts looking for and finds her ball in about 90 seconds. Her ball is just beyond where a white OB stake is. Not wanting to go all the way back to the tee, Sharon assumes she can use the model local rule E5 and drop a ball into the fairway for a two-stroke penalty, which she does. The other ladies weren't aware that Sharon was found, that Sharon's ball was found out of bounds until Sharon casually mentioned it on the ninth tee. And that ninth tee is across a long street and a great distance from the eighth hole. And at that time, the other ladies informed Sharon that if her ball was OB, she would not be allowed to drop it in the fairway as they do not have model local rule E5 there at that course. So since Sharon didn't want to slow down play for the group behind her, she said she'd just take an eight on the hole and move on. So what's the ruling? I think Sharon might be in some trouble and we can just sort of narrow down to the, what has she done wrong? Well, E5 wasn't available, but even if it was, you know, she could come out. um, But let's say it's not available. What option does she have available to her when her ball has been found out of bounds? As we know, if your ball is lost or out of bounds, 
you are limited to one option and one only. And I believe it's your favorite option for the unplayable ball. It's the same option, right? So that's your only option under that. She didn't play a provisional ball, as you mentioned. Model local rule E5 was not available. Her only option was to proceed under stroke and distance and return to the teeing area and make another stroke, which would have been, of course, her third, third stroke. When she dropped in the fairway, she has, for all intents and purposes, under Rule 14.4, she has put a ball into play. And she's continued to play that ball from that spot. The only problem is by putting that ball into play, she's played and making a stroke at it. She's played from a wrong place. Then we need to determine whether that playing from a wrong place is a serious breach or not. Because... People play from wrong places all the time, but they're not disqualified if they begin play the next hole because it wasn't a serious breach. The problem with Sharon is the only place she was supposed to play that ball from was back at the teeing area. And so the committee would definitely rule by dropping one in the fairway. However many yards in front, she has gained a significant advantage by dropping a ball there, playing from a wrong place. And we know that if that is not corrected, before beginning a stroke to begin the next hole, or if it's the last hole of the round, returning your scorecard, that results in, unfortunately, Sharon, only one thing. And uh, I think you're on the same page with me here, Marcella. What is that one thing that Sharon's facing? Yeah, the big DQ. The big DQ. No one likes DQ against their score, I don't think. Um, but, yeah, that's disqualification every day of the week. Yes, and that yeah. that... Um, serious breach is if they have a significant advantage by playing from the wrong place. And it could be because it's significantly closer to the hole, or it could be because it no longer is behind a tree or in super thick rough or in the middle of a bush or something that's drastically different. It's a significant advantage to where their ball should have been, where the right place was. Um, then it is considered a serious breach and that's where they do have to correct it. And that's in stroke play. Yeah, spot on. And the interesting thing about 14.7 and serious breach or not is there is no distance provided. And what you have just done is provided some really good examples of where, in fact, playing from a wrong place may be further away from the hole than where you should be playing from, but it could still be considered a serious breach because or the it's exact a significant same yardage. The, exa- could correct. Be the exact same yardage. Or, or further away, but still it, the committee would need to determine, and it's absolutely up to the discretion of the committee to determine whether that player gained a significant advantage or not. And all those examples you mentioned are perfectly valid. You know, what was the condition like? Forget distance for one moment. What was that player facing? by playing from there compared to where they are now. And I remember digressing a little. I remember Lydia Ko not so long ago thinking preferred lies was in place and three holes in a row in the middle of the fairway lifted her ball, placed it somewhere else very close and made a stroke. And on the fourth occasion, asked the question, someone brought it to her attention. She'd already lifted it and was about to place it. And they said, no, 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 preferred lies has not been in place. So she's played from a wrong place three holes in a row but that was okay. There was no disqualification because there was no serious breach. Um, Yeah, that's definitely up to the committee. And as we know, under 14.7, there's even an opportunity for the player, if they are not sure on the spot, whether that is a serious breach or not, whether the committee would deem that a serious breach or not, they can play a second ball in stroke play. um, And again, let the committee work that out. Yeah, Sharon knew that 
Um, she should go back, but she also knew that going back is such a long distance. This is a really long distance um, to get back to that spot and or the T uh, on the eighth hole. And she knew it would slow people down. So in her mind, she's like, oh, my maximum's like a seven. I'll take an eight and we'll move on. Right. Okay. So do you know if it was a maximum score round or? No, it was just a stroke the... play metal. It was a stroke. Okay. Okay. Definitely a stroke round. Okay. Because as we know, there are options if you are playing a Stableford round or a par bogey or a maximum score that you can just at any time say, just give me the maximum, you know, the worst possible score for that format. So it'd be zero points in Stableford, you know, minus in par or bogey or the maximum score for that hole that the committee have deemed. But if it's stroke, 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 proper stroke, where you need to hole out every hole, yes, Sharon would clearly be disqualified as soon as she made a stroke to begin the next hole, way over the road, a long way away, with no intent to come back. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Oh, Sharon, hope you enjoyed the rest of the day. <laughs> After she was advised that she would be disqualified. Okay, very good. Very good question, please. And I know, again, Blakey keeps track of those people who have, so I don't have, unfortunately, right this second, people who have responded to that question, and but Blakey keeps track of uh, of all that. Okay, I have some community questions. Uh, now, as our listeners would know, and hopefully they know, on the YouTube channel, uh, Blakey posts regular community questions, you know, true or false, or mainly how many strokes, and he'll provide a scenario, and at the end, how many strokes. So I was just going to for today's podcast, spend a bit of time going through some of those community questions and we can go through the responses and the reason why uh, the answer is the answer. And interestingly for today, um, I actually have the inside, I have the percentage of responses that were correct. And you may be surprised by some of those percentages because some of the questions today, the percentage correct uh, was less than 50%. So most people got some of these questions wrong. So we'll go through some of those. If you're okay to join me with that and we'll go through the questions and we can discuss the answers. Yes, you guys ask a lot <clears> of difficult <throat> questions. They're very layered. Very layered. Yeah, and of course, and as we'll find out with one of them, in fact, where most responses were incorrect for a lot of people, when you read the comments on YouTube, a lot of people just missed one item mm. and that's all it takes to get the wrong answer. And you you know, you've done the USGA exam, I've done it. And you know, with all those exams questions, no good missing out on one item, but guess getting the, the rest of the scenario correct. You need to get it all correct. Yes. Um, so that's what's happened in some of these, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, does that bring up a bad memory of the USGA exam? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, yeah, it, it's not a pretty day. And when you no. take it online or I imagine in person too, but it's not a, it's not a pretty day. It's very intense and you have all your snacks and there's a proctor there. So someone is watching you. You don't know who they are. You don't see them as well, but someone from, I believe a testing company, probably not even USGA, not sure, but someone's watching you and they're controlling your computer or prohibiting you yep. from having opening anything else. And you literally are, you know, the first 50 questions are, closed book and then 50 questions open book which actually in my opinion are more difficult than the closed book um but you know someone's watching you and you're eating your snacks and you're talking to yourself in my case i'm talking to myself i'm yelling at myself 
and you know you're you're look you're watching the time and you're circling things and coming back to them and then you've got to get up to go to the restroom and so it's just it's a very it's uncomfortable and it's stressful and you know the time is ticking but you're um you know you try to focus through all of that and you may know the material and sometimes i feel like if you were my my instructor or giving the exam to me um audio like verbally and you just ask the question i could answer those questions but when now you put these paragraph formats with Susie and Mary and Johnny and all the things they did and, you know, and then they went to the store and they got on the bus and then they paid 50 cents and they got off the bus. I mean, all these things that aren't necessarily relevant to a rule. Um, now my mind is gone. Woo, woo, woo. And so it's, yeah, there, it's a, it's a difficult time, but I'm looking forward to taking it again. <laughs> wow. That's very good. If you're doing yeah. it again. I think yeah. I'll do it again next year. You um, don't need to. You're already. You've already got expert status. You're good. I just yeah, I think, have advanced status, so I need. Thank it. you. Yeah, I think maybe for the challenge, and I think it forced me to study. Like I really prepared and studied, so it it was really helpful in that sense. It provided me something to work towards. Um, I will say two things. I agree with you. I thought the closed book section was really quite straightforward. Um, with a lot of definitions, um, and it, I flew through the closed book section. The open book section, when I've got this big fat book to help me, I found far more difficult. Um, you're just back and forth between so many multiple rules trying to work it out, and my brain, after four hours, was toast. It was fried. I, yes. I was fried. Uh, anyway. It's not fun, uh, but that's how you can really respect people who have their certification from the USGA because you know not only do they know it, but they also know how to take a test. But you know, our Blakey boy, he passed his and got, he got advanced certification, which is still very good at the age of um, 18. So um, yeah. Very good. He was not so long ago. I brilliant think. little boy. <laughs> <laughs> very good. All right. Well, we'll start with these uh, community questions. This one is quite straightforward and not surprising most people got this correct. Uh, these are in no particular order. I've just copied and pasted them from the YouTube um, community questions section. The first one is a hole, a hole made by a worm is not an animal hole for which relief under rule 16.1 is available, but both the worm and the cast that it makes are loose impediments. So any hole dug by a worm is not an animal hole. And the way we answer this, firstly, if I went to the definition of animal, an animal is any living member of the animal kingdom, including other humans. Sorry, other than humans, right? Any living member of the animal kingdom. So a worm is an animal. However, when we get to animal hole, any hole dug in the ground by an animal, except for holes dug by animals that are also defined as loose impediments, such as worms or insects. So if we go to loose impediments, you know, any unattached natural object, but it also includes worm, insects, and similar animals that can be removed easily. And the mounds or webs they build, such as worm casts and antils, they're all loose impediments. So the answer to that question is true, but it really just highlights the importance of the definitions. Um, it, it really does. And I remember early on someone saying, oh, the definitions are so important. I'm going, yeah, but they're not even in the rules. They're like at the back. 
know, they're not even rules one to 34 at the time, one to 24, or whatever it might have been now, one to 25. It's like an appendix, like it's at the end, like it's can't be that important. And then people really started to convince me that definitions are critical, paramount. Anyway, so that was the yes. first question. Any comments on the definitions? Well, just like we talked about last week, we were talking about stroke and uh, practice swing and practice stroke. If if you're reading a rules question or someone is asking you a question or telling you a story and they're using the word stroke, you're assuming they are using the, the definition or they say, my ball moved. Well, did your ball move under the definition in the rules of golf or did it just move in the definition of the, you know, Merriam-Webster dictionary. Dictionary, yes. Right? So that's yeah. what's so important about it because you're like, yeah, I know what moved means. It moved. I saw it. Well, different story under the rules of golf as to whether or not it moved. So yes, those that's where anyone, if you want to take your exam, whether it's the USGA or something regional, you should start, just read the definitions. In fact, you guys have a podcast. Um, uh, uh, how dry, how dry is this? You hear you guys are alternating reading the definitions, but if you are going to be studying for your exam, or you're trying to learn this stuff for your own game, cause you're a high level player or a caddy, um, or a club pro, it's a perfect thing to listen to when you're driving in your car. Are you going to read it at home? Probably not. You're going to be distracted by life, right? When you get off work and you go home. But if you're driving somewhere and you've got 20 minutes, yeah, you want to listen to that podcast because you guys are reading it and it's just, where else in the world are you going to get that info? And you, you hear it a couple of times. You're like, oh, okay, I got it. There's a distinction here on this. So yeah, it's, it's helpful for, for the rules geeks or the rules nerds of the world. I had completely forgotten about those two podcasts where we read through uh, the entire group of, I think there's about 74 of them, the, all the definitions. And we alternated, as you mentioned, and I had completely forgotten, and I'll dob him in here. I think as soon as we stopped recording, Blakey said something like, oh, so close to falling asleep. <laughs> 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 We're doing that podcast. Yes, it was dry, but you're spot on. If you are going to take this to the next level and do exams and want to officiate, the definitions are, I won't say everything, but they are close. They are so critical. And there's very few sentences in the rules of golf that do not have a defined word in that sentence. That's, they make up, they're the glue. They make up the rules. You know, every sentence always refers to something in a definition. Um, yeah, they're everything. So that question really just came down. Even if you didn't know, you could quite easily find the answer. And the answer was, in fact, the answers or the answer was to be found in the definitions nowhere else. It wasn't even the rules of golf. It was in the definitions, so to speak. Okay. So not surprisingly, 81% got that response, got that answer question correct. And that is of all the ones I have today, that is in fact the highest percentage uh, correct. Okay. The next one. So this is a how many strokes scenario. These are the ones you like, Marcella, when the players stop halfway around and go and grab a chocolate bar and and tried to distract you with the question and and they did something with their clubs and thinking oh is that a penalty on anyway on the first hole at wombat hills fantastic golf club on the first hole at wombat hills stewart's ball is lying on a cart path in the general area after his tee shot 
he decides that he wants to take free relief as per rule 16.1 because he has interference from the immovable obstruction for a reasonable stroke. He works at his nearest point of complete relief and then he lifts his ball from the course without marking the original spot. He drops another ball within one club, club length of his nearest point of complete relief, no nearer the hole, and the ball comes to rest inside that club length. He takes four more strokes to hole out, and the question was simply how many strokes uh, for that particular situation for, was it me? Yes, for me playing that hole, the first hole. Marcella, do you know the answer to that? Yes, that's five. That is five. So what about, so taking relief from the car path, that's okay. That's for free. Doesn't cost you anything. And I think where people got this wrong, and I'll tell you now, 65% got this correct. 65. So let's say it the other way, 35%, more than one third, got this incorrect. And I think the most common misunderstanding here was the requirement, or I should say no requirement to in fact mark the spot of the original ball before you lift it to take free relief from that immovable obstruction. Do you think that would be a common misunderstanding, people thinking you have to mark that spot before you lift it? It's funny because it's it's kind of the opposite. So many people don't realize you need to mark the spot when you're lifting your ball to identify it, right? So many people think you don't have to do that but yet they do think you have to mark it when you're going to take relief from something. So it's, it's funny that they, many people have the complete opposite understanding. Yeah. It's a, and I remember one line in the rules, it must be under 14.1 where whenever you are required to replace the ball and replace means exactly the same spot. Um, whenever you are required to replace the ball, you must mark it first. You must not, suggested must, including on the putting green. If you are lifting it and putting it back on exact, you mark it first. Everyone knows that. But around the course, like you said, if you're lifting to identify, I have seen that myself, where they just lit, lit half an inch off the ground, one centimetre, they lift it up, rotate it to see there, oh, there it is, and just put it straight back again. You think there is no harm in doing that. They haven't moved it. It's back where it was. They haven't gained any advantage, but they haven't followed correct procedure, as you said, and they haven't marked it first, and that would incur a penalty, if my understanding of the rules is correct. For oh, that oh, your situation. understanding of the rules is correct, <laughs> Mr. <Very> Expert. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, yeah, it's interesting that I do see it a lot. People taking relief, they'll put... Now, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it is a good habit. Because if you're distracted, hey, I'm still looking for my ball and off you run to help someone else and come back and go, oh, where was, oh. Now, we know best estimate is okay, if not known, but it, it is a good habit to go, well, there it was. I have seen people mark the nearest point of complete relief first before then lifting their ball as a habit. But again, there's no requirement to mark Yes. And that's what, that's what I do mm. is I'll mark that nearest point of complete relief where my, you know, where I'm basically using the club, I would be using for the shot. And when I teach uh, the rules um, on the course, that's what I recommend that they do. And always saying is this is not required. It's more of a should, it's not a must, 
but it's a good idea to do that. And also if there's anyone around you, maybe that doesn't know the rules as well. If you're, if you're in a tournament and you're marking out that one club length or two club lengths, depending on what kind of relief you're taking, if you're marking it out, then it, it's kind of clear to everyone. And again, not required, not required on the PGA tour either. Uh, and not require during a tournament. It's just a good idea so that people don't get stressed. And I'm all about avoid the appearance of impropriety, avoid mm. the stress, avoid people being uncomfortable or having a weird feeling or thinking that you did something wrong. But you only have time to do that if you're efficient the rest of the time, as we talked about that last week. So you can't you know, take forever to measure this thing out when you're chatting away the whole time. So be efficient with it. Um, but I, I think it's a good idea to market. I, I think that's a great point. And this is why I turn to you often because you're the one doing your clinics. Uh, you're out on course. You have people standing around you. You're in a bunker. You're on the green. You, and you're going through all these mechanics and procedures. Um, I think that's a great point you make about why provide anybody the opportunity to have any inkling that you are doing something wrong and to create that tension or stress. And if you go through that procedure of marking out two club lengths, nearest point, one club length, even though the rules don't, you don't have to, but why not? For your own benefit and for everybody looking on going, he or she, they know what they're doing. I can see that. I'm not going to have any doubts from now on. They can, they're clearly comfortable taking relief, following the procedures. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And I think, I think especially if point. there's any kind of a slope, because it's going to probably run out and you do want to make sure sometimes you think it ran out of the relief area, but maybe it still is in the relief area because you just estimated or eyeballed it. Maybe it's still in the relief area. So you really shouldn't be taking another drop because it, it you think it rolled outside. So I think any kind of a slope or strain sort of terrain, I think it's really a good idea for that as well. And one thing regarding that, I think a lot of people are under the misunderstanding that if you are taking relief, for example, lateral relief for a red penalty area, and it is sloping towards the water, that when you take that drop, you're not allowed to stop it from going into the water, going past that red line again. Um, and you are allowed to stop it as long as it's clearly obvious that it it's going to continue rolling then you can stop you know your ball in motion so to speak when clearly it's going to just take off and exceed where it's supposed to come to rest and uh, then you can because obviously you don't want to waste two nice new golf balls <laughs> just taking free relief i'm sorry penalty relief for a for a, a penalty area i've done that myself and had someone question me that on that um I, I had my driver out to measure the two club lengths, then laid it down on the red line, knowing the ball was going to roll that way, stopped it twice. And someone said, you can't stop it. I said, well, it's obvious where the ball is heading. It's heading. Anyway, you're yeah. spot on. Um, there's no issue with that. If it's obvious, as you say, that, um, that that's exactly where the ball is going. Do you think that uh, Blakey, yeah. you know, I know he doesn't compete a lot anymore because he's out officiating all over the world, but do you think he would do something just for fun? Do you think he would, during a tournament, a fun tournament, nothing too serious, do something for fun to get a rise out of people around him that is that looks controversial or looks like most people think, oh, you can't do that? 
and just to get a ride. I mean, don't you think that's his personality that he would do that for fun? I must uh, take some credit as well. I do that a lot myself do you? to get a ride. Absolutely, I do because it's fun. And I did it. I had a conversation just last when. Yes, I think. Sorry to answer your question. I've played with him, you know, maybe five, six times. I think he's beaten me in our match every single time. Um, he, yeah, he he would definitely do that. And he's, you know, kicking his putter to make a stroke. You know, he's kicking it with his foot. That's his stroke. You know, just doing, is that allowed? He's saying he's putting everyone on the spot. And definitely, I'll tell you one thing I did last week was we had preferred lies. So we're just about to come out of winter. Uh, winter, And so, you know, slightly sloppy, muddy conditions. We have preferred lies and the relief area is simply one hand span. And so my ball's lying there and I'm about to take relief. <clears throat> and so what I do is I grab a second ball and place it, you know, within six inches um, of my ball in play. And I just put it there. And then I called someone. I, he was standing very close. I didn't make too much of an effort for him. I said, is this okay? And he was very confused. I said, well, I've just put that other ball down. And one other person who thinks they know the rules very well says, yes, you, you can do that. You can use another ball as a ball marker for your ball in play. I said, well, it's not a ball marker because it's six inches away, right? And a ball marker needs to be right next to it. So it's not a ball marker. I said, no, that's my ball in play. And he said, well, you can't do it because it just looks odd, you know, having not marking it, lifting it and putting it somewhere else, even though you don't need to mark it, but having two balls right next to each other that are both mine. And so the guy said, no, you can't do that. And I just went through, well, if you're taking relief under any rule, anywhere on the course, you can use another ball. He said, no, you've got to use the same ball for the whole hole. I said, well, I'm going to put my life on it. And he goes, <laughs> oh, he goes, oh, that's right. You know the rules. Yeah, okay. But to him, it just looked Someone else, I said, and then I, with my club, I actually tapped my original ball. I actually tapped it back to my bag. I, I didn't make a stroke. I literally just tapped it back. I said, that's now a wrong ball, as I'm explaining it all to him, getting all very nerdy. But I do it. Um, I play with the club captain often, you know, really good rules knowledge, not not as active anymore, but and I'll do a few things and ask him. And we, we have a good laugh about it because it does put him on the spot for five seconds of whether I'm able to, you know, proceed. So I think it's a lot of fun. And why are we out there on the golf course? We are not elite players. I'm out there for one thing and that's to enjoy myself. So some of these little things help me enjoy myself that little bit, <laughs> a little bit more. Yes. Well, and, and I do a lot of that too, not to get a rise, but just ask the question, Hey, can you do this? Can you do that? Just to help. And my friends appreciate it. Um, Blakey and I played in Lake Tahoe in a um, pro-am uh, one pro and four amateurs. And, um, it was just such fun. And, um, there was a little bit of drinking during the round and, um, not by me, of course, but, um, by everyone else. Um, and, uh, literally the, uh, he had to go in, I have a video on it. He had to, he hit a ball into the water, into a penalty area. And he had already lost so many balls that day that he literally took his shoes off and went into the water to get, to find a ball. And I'm not talking knee height. We're talking thigh height. Got completely drenched to, to get his ball. And it's, it's a great video. We, we should show it. It's hilarious. And, um, yeah, he's a great competitor, but um, things happen. <laughs> 
no one could spot him five or ten bucks for another ball at no, the term. Anyway, that's we couldn't. we couldn't even better that it's on video. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so we got 65% correct, got that correct. That was the question of me and taking relief from the cart path. And we digressed a little bit, which is good. Um, talking about relief and procedures for that. This one, uh, this was quite straightforward. The question was, now this was true or false. You may have the flagstick left in or removed or attended for a stroke, no matter where your ball is on the course. That was it. You may have the flagstick left in or removed or attended by someone else for a stroke, no matter where your ball is on the course. And the answer to that is true. 80% got that correct. The rule says the player may leave the flagstick in the hole or have it removed, which includes having someone attend the flagstick and remove it after the ball is played, but must decide before making a stroke. There is normally no penalty if a ball in motion hits the flagstick, this rule applies to a ball played from anywhere on the course, whether or sorry, whether on or off the putting green. 80% got that correct. I made the comment on the YouTube channel just to reiterate because someone asked a question about something they weren't quite sure. And I just said, whatever choice you make, you need to make it before you make your stroke. And then once you're you've made your stroke, you are stuck with that choice. And that's, that's just the two points and good rules of thumb to remember. Make the choice before making the stroke. And once you make the stroke, you are stuck with that choice. No running up and trying to remove the flagstick when you had chosen to leave it in. So 80% got that correct, Marcella. Uh, any any stories from your clinics with the flagstick? Uh... Um, just that sometimes people are under the impression that you can only repair damage to the green when your ball is on the green, if you see damage and you're going to chip up there or you're very close to the green and you just run up and fix it, a lot of players are under the impression you can't make that repair to that damage until your ball is in the, is on the green. And that is not correct. So, um, a, a lot of misunderstandings about when you can do things. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I definitely see people who are just short of the green and there's they want to repair and they don't know whether they can or not they will ask the question but you're right they assume it's not until you are on your ball is lying on the putting green that you can make those repairs but you can make those repairs anytime and and another um, little sort of golf wives tale is when you uh, a ball is in the hole someone hold out and the other players are under the impression that it's a penalty if they hole out when that ball is sitting in the hole. Yeah, we had this uh, sort of half intellectual conversation about a month ago in a little group chat that we are with, which Blakey is a part of. And we were talking about a ball in motion going into the hole and striking another ball at rest, which of course in stroke plays a penalty. And so we're having that intellectual discussion of it's hit another ball and that ball was at rest and it was on the putting green because the hole is on the putting green. And so we don't want to nerd out too many people with that conversation, but you're right. It's like if the ball's there for pace of play, you know, the person might've hold out from the bunker and they're raking, they're, they're excited and happy, but they're raking a bunker. They're gonna, not going to be able to retrieve that ball for another four minutes. Meanwhile, you're all playing goes in and hits that ball as you say that's no problem but 
Um, as long as it doesn't hit that ball and bounce back out again, then you'll be upset. Yes. Well, not surprisingly, 80% got that correct. Uh, not so successful with this next. I knew, I just knew this question would trip people up. It's a simple question, but not, yeah, it should be a simple answer. But question was, your ball is just off a putting green. It's not the green you are playing to. It's not the green for the hole that you are playing. Your feet for a normal, reasonable stroke, your feet are standing on that putting green to make your next stroke. And the question was simply, you may play the ball as it lies. And it was simply a true false. You may play the ball as it lies. Now, Marcella, that particular green that we are standing on, but it's not the hole, not the green for the hole that we are playing, what do we call that green? We call it a wrong green. And it's interesting because... Um... It's that's a foreign concept. I, I don't know why that is, but no one has ever heard of, or many casual players have never heard of a wrong green. It, it's probably because it's unusual to end up with a ball on a wrong green, not the green for the hole that you're playing at the time. And it, it's just, a, no one's ever heard of, they're like, what is a wrong green? Yeah. So um, yeah, wrong green, you're not allowed to play from there, whether it's on it or it's your stance or air of intended swing or stance are on it. So you, you must take relief from it. And I think that's where the confusion would have come in. The fact that the ball was, you know, I think clarifying the ball wasn't on, yeah, the ball is just off it. So the ball is not on the wrong green. You are standing on it, but your ball, and I knew that would trip people up. And I've, and I've seen this actually with a state-level referee. They just got this confused that, well, the ball's not on the wrong green. You're, you're fine. You're good to go. But I'm standing on it. No, but your ball's not on it. So I knew that would trip people up. I didn't think it would get such a low response. In fact, 43% of people got that correct. And we'll swap, swap that around and say 57% for a true-false, 50% got that wrong clearly thinking that the ball was off, you're okay to play. Had they made that stroke with their, you know, stance on the green uh, for a reasonable stroke, I think that might be a penalty coming their way. <clears throat> Marcella, what have they done wrong? It's a two-stroke, it's a general penalty, two-stroke penalty in stroke play, and um, they must take relief from it. Yeah, they must. Interestingly enough, and it does say for a reasonable stroke, so you can't be like really stretching the right foot out as far as you can, you know, to get one little toe on the green and go to a referee, look, my little toe is on the wrong green. Can I take relief, please? Because the referee could easily deny you. Is reasonable stroke in the definitions? I don't think it is. In fact, I'm it, almost It's sure interesting it is because it, it really, that really is such no, an not. important term. And um, when I was teaching uh, recently in Tahoe and quite often the director of golf or some of the other um, golf pros at the club will attend, which is great because they see what I'm teaching their ladies so that they can back it up if questions arise later, but they also see um, and can get MSR credits for their continuing education credits with the PGA. So that's kind of cool. Um, so they often join in and um I was teaching at a club and I was talking about this reasonable stroke where um, my ball was on, um, well, my stance was on a cart path 
Um, but the ball was up against this huge boulder that was really an immovable obstruction because it's not, it what couldn't reasonably have been moved. Even if Tiger and all of his fans were there to move it, it could not have been moved. So, but it was a boulder and it literally was sitting up against the boulder. And I created that shot for myself so that I could explain reasonable stroke, which just means that if you think you may be entitled to free relief from an immovable obstruction like a cart path, it must be a reasonable stroke. So if there were just grass there and no cart path, no immovable obstruction, and my ball were sitting up against this boulder, I had no shot to the right, to the left, really anywhere without an injury, right? Or breaking my club, there was no shot. So it wasn't reasonable to think I was ever going to hit that. So therefore I am not entitled to free relief from that immovable obstruction, that cart path. So I'm teaching this and the director of golf's going, I've never heard of that. And, you know, sometimes huh. I hear people say that I go, oh, okay, yeah, you never heard of it. He's like, no, but, but really I've never, ever, ever heard of that. And what I read into him was that can't be true. You know, he'd been playing forever and, you know, so it's interesting that the, um, so many people haven't heard of concepts and or definitions that are really important. And, and if I'd love, I mean, this was sort of related to a reasonable stroke when you talked about this wrong green, but I'd love for you guys to post a question, a tough one like this about reasonable stroke, because everyone thinks if your stance is on that cart path, automatic, you're entitled to yeah, free relief. Automatic. And it's not automatic. Mm. Mm. That's a that's a great point. And I think one of the things that I was taught early on was if I was in that position with a player and they were saying, I, I want free relief and I'm saying no, and they're going, oh, come on, why not? I would ask the question, and I think you you mentioned this in your answer was in your comments were if that immovable obstruction was not there, if that abnormal course condition was not there, what would you do? And if they say, oh, I probably have to take an unplayable or I'd be hitting it backwards. I'm going, there you go. So what, whatever option you would be choosing, you wouldn't have interference from that abnormal course condition. So don't use that as an excuse. I wouldn't take that tone with the player, obviously, but that's the that's the issue that if that wasn't there, what would you do? And they're going, oh, well, I'd have to take it and play well. But there's your answer. Right. It's not a reasonable stroke. No free relief. Simple. Um, anyway, that's a great point. Reasonable stroke, not in the definitions, but, uh, and again, open to interpretation, open to a referee on the spot. And Blakey and I have had this conversation before when you have, a rules official, a referee who plays off a handicap or I think you call it like an index of like 25. So I wouldn't call them a great golfer. And they're officiating a, an elite amateur professional event. So one person's definition of a reasonable stroke may be different to that elite player because the rules official is lucky to break 100. You know, so they have that different look on what is reasonable, what a player can do. And I think, I'm not saying that's automatically going to be an issue, but I think it's very important for a rules official, for a referee to keep that in the back of their mind. Um, 
Yeah, I think that is really important. And, um, and I think, you know, most, um, most of the time we're dealing with, you know, traditionally men who've been athletes for a long time, they've been playing golf, you know, for 30 something years and, and they have in their bag or in their skill set these unusual, you know, very hingy shots or a, an unusual stance or backwards and, you know, left hand, you know, the, all that stuff that they can probably execute fairly well. Whereas maybe a female doesn't have to be a female, but someone who's newer to the sport and newer to anything hand-eye. I'm painting a picture of myself here, if, if, if you can tell. And so that person can't reasonably hit it, you know, backwards, underhanded, left-handed, whatever, standing on one with one leg up the tree. And, you know, it just, it's, that's not reasonable for them. So what, what is the skill set of this person? And I also think, um, you know, as far as whether or not they can really hinge, if this is a woman who's a 38 handicap, she's just lucky to connect with the ball. And so to think that she's going to hit this real, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not being, I'm not being rude, you know, yeah, but it's, it's like, we're happy to just be out there hitting the ball squarely. And so when you have to have such an unusual hinge or, you know, to try to do a flop shot or all these things, that's not reasonable to think she can do that. So mm -hmm. sometimes whether or not she's got interference from a drain and sprinkler head, I think as a referee, you can be a little more lenient knowing what that skill set is of that player. So it's, it's a yeah. great point. And for everyone that's listening, that is a PGA teaching pro and is sort of unofficially officiating right at their club. That's, I think that's important. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. So we'll get to the last community question again, how many strokes, this is one of the scenarios that people love. And again, you miss out on one, you're going to get the answer incorrect. And I can tell you now, less than half got this correct. So the question was, in stroke play, Tyson hits his ball on the par four third hole into the rough on the right side of the fairway in a similar spot to Marcella. He walks down and sees a ball he thinks may be his, but he cannot be certain. He lifts the ball and it turns out to be his, so he replaces it. He then hits his ball into a greenside bunker. After grabbing his 60-degree 60 60 degree wedge, he walks into the bunker that his ball is in and prepares to play his next shot. He takes two practice swings, touching the sand both times. He then hits his ball onto the green. Tyson putts with a flagstick left in the hole and holes out in two putts. How many strokes has Tyson made for the third Hole. Now, I'm not going to put you on the spot and say, hey, did you count all that up? But well, what it will do is, I think you have the answer anyway, don't you? you you've gone through that question yourself. Um, I, I didn't count it right now, but I can tell you the two issues that come up. Maybe there's more, but the two issues that should be coming up in people's heads. And the first one is lifting a ball without putting a mark down first, lifting a ball in play. And um, so he did that. That is a one-stroke penalty. And assuming he replaces it on the original spot, that's all it is, is a one-stroke penalty. And then that um, making those practice swings in the bunker that touch the sand. So the question on that one is, how many penalty strokes does he have? Is there a limit? Was there what we call an intervening event, which did just change a little bit more 
in 2023. So can you explain the intervening event and when that is it 1.3 where you where you know what your limit or your maximum penalty for something can be? Yeah, so yes, yeah, so you're right. So in 2023, they introduced this concept called intervening events. And I've had a lot of discussion with people, again, with Blakey and others about this in the last month, trying to clarify a lot of issues that I probably the ruling bodies didn't even think about. Um, so there's two intervening events. One is completion of a stroke. Sorry, I should go back one. We used to call these related and unrelated acts. So if you committed a whole bunch of you know, possible breaches, if they're all sort of related and tied in, you know, sort of lifting a ball and putting it somewhere else, it wasn't three-stroke penalty, it was only two, it was playing from the wrong place because they were related. And so they've ditched those terms and they've come up with intervening events and intervening events simply separate breaches. So it allows you to, if you commit 10 different breaches, but you do the first four without an intervening event in there somewhere, then you only take the maximum of those four. You don't add them up. So the intervening events are completion of a stroke. And the second one is being aware or becoming aware of a breach, including if you are uncertain whether you have breached a rule or not. So that uncertain bit almost provides blanket coverage. But in this particular case, let's say Tyson had no idea. You're spot on about the marking the ball, by the way, for identification. That's clearly a one-stroke penalty. And the second one was brushing the sand with two practice strokes. Was there an intervening event in between uh, that particular, you know, those two swings? You were playing the hole as well. If Tyson made that practice swing, brushing the sand, and you saw that and go, oh, oh, you can't do that. That's a breach of the rule. You can't brush the sand in a practice swing. And then he did it again. Now we're looking at two separate penalties for those two situations because in the middle, the player became aware, um, was told of the breach. Even if they didn't know, they are still uncertain whether they've committed a breach. So that bang, that's an intervening event. So now you're looking at two general penalties. As the question was written, that was at a swing, brush of the sand, another swing. That's really just one, well, that is one general penalty for those two actions. Spot on. There you go. We could spend a whole podcast on intervening events. That's a new concept. It has provided its fair share of confusion, but that's it. Completion of a stroke or being aware or becoming aware of a breach. Yes. And so that ball that in stroke play, um, Tyson, by the way, is Tyson a real person? I believe all these names are real people. Yes. I, I Most of them have been, and I know many of them that you use a lot, Roscoe and, um, but I don't know Tyson. Is he cute? I have no idea. I've never met. No comment. I've never met. There's okay, Big I just, P and Andy, the average golfer. Yeah, I don't know yep, most of them. Big P. I need all to know. Uh, yeah. Can they all DM me, please? I just need to know. I need to put a face with the name. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so this we're playing stroke play and he lifts a ball. So if he lifts a ball and he's again, stroke play, he's lifting a ball. It's my ball. He lifts it and goes, oh, that's Marcella's ball. He puts it back. There's no penalty for that. Okay, that's so strange. If we were playing in match play because I'm his opponent and he lifts mm. my ball, there is a penalty for that, okay? But he, he, we're playing in stroke play. It was my ball, no penalty. But if because it was his ball, 
there was a penalty. And it's just, I mean, again, if you put that one out alone, just the fact that he lifted it, he didn't mark it and he replaced it. Turns out it wasn't his ball. It was my ball. You just throw that one little fact out. You're going to get uh, less than 50% people saying that's correct. I'll, I'll take that to another. I'll take it to one more level. And that is if uh, Tyson and Marcelo were playing and we're looking for your, looking for both, looking for searching for both balls. And Tyson says to you, Marcelo, I think this is yours here. Do you want me to check for you? Do you want me to see if it's got your pink markings? Sorry to stereotype that. Whatever your ball marking <laughs> is. Wait, why Why would you be stereotyping me? <laughs> there you go. So if, if Tyson says to you, Marcelo, I think this is your ball. Do you want me to check for you? And you go, yeah, please do. And then they lift it for identification without marking it. Guess who's getting a penalty, Marcelo? Because they've acted, that player has acted with your authority. And so effectively, anything they do with your authority, the breach goes back to the player. Had Tyson not said anything, as you just mentioned, and just lifted it up, and he's going, phew, that wasn't my ball, no penalty, puts it back, Marcella, your ball's here, thank you, no penalty. If it was his, then, uh, damn, I should have marked it first. But if they did it with your authority, that's probably something else a lot of people don't know about. You know, certainly with marking procedural things, you know, people can get your authority to do something for you. An example is on the green, you've hit out from a bunker, it's in the way of everybody else's. And this can be another podcast as well that, and you, I call out, Marcella, you, your ball's in the way. Can we just mark it for you or something like that? And you say, yes, please do. There's all sorts of rules associated with that. It's now, uh, you know, it's now out of play. If we put it somewhere else, it's a wrong ball, not a wrong place and all those sorts of things. And it's anyway, it just comes back to acting with someone's authority. You know, and I sure do miss Blakey because if he were here, he would have some one-liners just about this whole topic of what we're discussing right now about why you shouldn't be lifting another player's ball without permission, blah, 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 blah. We know he'd have some some good ones there. And uh, yes, I'm so we miss I'm sure him. He would. Miss you, Blakey. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, we know episode 100 is next. And we know that it's only fitting that he is front and centre for episode 100. So whenever that happens, I hope I get an invite. I hope I'm invited along for uh, to give 30 seconds worth of content. Um, yes, we do miss him and I hope he's, I'm sure, he, I chat to him every day. So I'm sure he's uh, having a great time. Or I know he's having a great time. Where he is, still not home for another week or two, but uh Yes, we do miss him. And well, it is his podcast. Why don't we suggest so. that he has like a reunion party with Big P and um, Andy and uh, Tyson. <laughs> then I get to meet them all. There's Helen and Charlotte. There's a few other people there that oh, we use yeah. in the rules questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so no surprise there, 48% got that correct. Um, I, I think probably, again, it would have come back to the marking at first to identify it probably caught people out. Um, that's one stroke, but we know in a USGA exam, that's enough. That's incorrect. You know, you need to be able to know every single thing that's happening in that scenario to make a ruling to help that player out. So, okay, well, I'm going to get to, in just a moment, the golf rules question of the week for episode 99. Before we do that, Marcella, do you have any anything else you'd like to talk about or any other comments? Um, I would just like to say the next time we're together, I'd love to spend a few minutes on... Um, wrong ball 
and how it's so interesting in match play. There are some little nuances about timing. One is discovered if two people both play a wrong ball. It's kind of twisty turvy. And I and I and I like it. And I think that that would be a fun thing for you to do a community question on and uh and then also um discuss in detail because that one is again that's a doozy there's so many that people can actually do what i do which is work the sick uh the circuit and at a bar basically you go to a bar at, at a great club like pebble beach or pinehurst and you just start chatting and say that you love the rules and then start making bets and then the 20 dollars bills are just flying this we could do this for a living Stu. really okay Oh yeah, it's a great good. way to make extra cash. Pays for your dinner. It's good. <laughs> okay, I had never thought about that, but I certainly will now that you've brought it to my attention. What a good <laughs> idea! We can discuss that off air. We'll we'll stop recording and we can chat about that further. Well, Marcella, I should uh, you know what? I'll do the golf rules question of the week, and then I'll do my uh, wrap up and say thank you to you. So this is the golf rules question of the week for episode number 99. During an individual stroke round, Stuart's ball lies in a greenside bunker on the 17th hole at Wombat Hills. I'm very, I'm just not that good in bunkers. He makes a stroke and the ball fly, I just skinny it, ball flies right over the green, well back into a red penalty area behind the hole. In frustration, I yell out, what am I doing wrong? Blakey, standing nearby, says, mate, you need to take more sand during the shot. Stuart then rakes the bunker. After considering his penalty area relief options, Stuart decides to proceed under stroke and distance and drop back in the same bunker that he just played from, which he does. Are there any penalty strokes to either player? That's a good one. There is a hint. There is at least one penalty stroke. There's there's penalty strokes coming. Uh, that's all I'll say. So don't give me don't give the answer of no. It's all good and zero. There is definitely some penalty strokes there. So thank you. I just wrote that up before, uh, reflecting my wonderful sand game, my wonderful bunker game. So, as always, if you want to have a crack at that question, please. Let Blakey know through the usual way, through YouTube, message him and get an answer in for that golf rules question of the week. And Marcella, I won't put you on the spot and get you to answer that because we want obviously the fans to uh, chip in and answer that question. Well, um, I will wrap up by saying, Marcella, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me for these last two podcasts in Blakey's absence. I'm going to put forward an argument. He can definitely come back for 100 Maybe you and I should do 101 <laughs> and we'll see what he says. There's uh, still so much talk. content. We have a lot to talk about. So I think uh, I, I'm definitely inviting myself back. I'll invite myself over to dinner anytime and I'll invite myself back on your podcast for sure. Very good. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you along. So thank you very much for spending some time uh, joining us on this podcast. It's been great. For everyone else, thank you very much for your time and listening in or watching in on YouTube. It's been great to have your company and I'm very, very excited about looking forward to episode number 100 when Blakey is back. Looking forward to that and we'll speak to you then. Thanks very much.